Welcome back to Money02. I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest, Cash Lawless. Cash is a former celebrity hairdresser whose artistry has adorned the likes of the Kardashians, Justin Bieber, Hailey Bieber, and so many more. And his work has also graced the covers of prestigious publications such as the one and only Vogue. In this episode, Cash takes us on his journey from dropping out of school to becoming a professional hairdresser and ultimately reaching kind of the pinnacle of success, particularly for those who are considered solopreneurs, which was working with A-list celebrities and doing magazine covers and tons of really cool, glamorous, creative work. And so he also talks about how he eventually left the beauty industry and transitioned into entrepreneurship and real estate. And now he's got ventures boasting 190 million in the past nine years of sales. And so Cash will really dive into the economic reality of what it means to actually work with celebrities. I think uh, the numbers might surprise you. And he also reveals the role that both mentorship and education played in his financial journey and also, of course, ultimately impacted his life because that's what money does, right? And so he shares a lot about his journey and he shares a deep commitment and passion for financial literacy. And so I'm really pleased to have him on this podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you next time on the Money02 podcast. I worked my way up to work with some of the biggest celebrities in the world, Justin Bieber, Kylie Jenner, Haley Bieber, and I had a growing beauty career. But even in the beginning of that career, my financial story was a disaster. Just because I was making more money did not mean I was growing in wealth or I was getting any better with it or I wasn't losing it just as fast. <laughs> and so in the beginning of my career, the first year that I made $40,000, I went and bought a $10,000 watch. I bought an electric drum set and a bunch of other really embarrassing, dumb things. <laughs> so every penny that I had kept, I bought a fancy watch. Learning the practice of automated allocation was huge because it took all the emotion out of money. And it's just like, hey, these are the allocation percentages. This much is going to investing. This much is going to our fund. This much is going to family. This much is going to bills, uh, all that kind of stuff. And having those systems in place was incredibly powerful. And it allowed me to go focus on life and not counting beans. Welcome to Money02. Today, I am joined by someone I'm very, very excited to chat with, Cash Lawless. Cash, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me today. Yes, I'm so excited. I, you know, obviously we just got connected and I feel like we've known each other longer than that. And I think you already are going to add so much value to the, the group of audience that listens to this podcast. So thank you for being here. And we were just chatting about maximizing performance and maximizing life. And so it's a perfect segue into your story and really how you maximize your financial life. And so take me from the beginning. Tell me who is cash. Well, my story really begins in, in this track. When I was 19, I became a homeless college dropout. And I dropped out of college because I was suffering from depression at the time and didn't really know what that was and how to deal with that. And so I made a series of consecutive horrible choices in my life to try to cope with those things and um, did not have a relationship with my parents at the time and did not have a single friend. And so a family decided to take me in and uh, they said that you are, they flew me from Los Angeles where I was at the time 
to uh, to Jacksonville, Florida, and they said, "Hey, we're, we're you're going to get your life together. We see a lot in you." And they said, "God told us to do this," and so they they took me in and said, "You're going to go to church. You're going to read books. You're going to get a job. You're going to go to school, and you're going to be successful. And that's the only way you'll stay here." And so I was like, "You know what? I'm into that. I like that." And so they gave me a much needed direction and structure at that time in my life to where I really started pouring my energy and focusing into reading. And because they basically said, you're going to do this all day unless you're looking for a job. And because it was really hot outside in Florida, I, re I started reading a lot. And uh, through that, I read a book called Think and Grow Rich that was incredibly transformative for me. And it re made me realize, oh, it's, it's my thinking that is, has produced the life I am living. And uh, that was just a huge wake up moment. I never really thought about that. I, at the time, I thought life happens to you. And so that changed the trajectory of my life forever. Eventually, I wound up uh, going and hunting for a job. I hit the jackpot because I got a one day a week job working front desk at a local brand new salon. And uh, they said, well, we're going to do a TV commercial. Would you play a hairdresser? That's, that's how I, I met the owner. I was at a car show and he, he just spotted me and came up to me out of nowhere. And I said, um, he said, are you an actor? I said, no. He's like, well, I don't know salon. We're doing a TV commercial. Would you play a hairdresser? And I said, does it pay? And he said, no, but I'll give you a free haircut. Said, okay, works for me. You can tell I was a great negotiator back then. Uh, really knew my value. So I said, yes, I played a hairdresser in this commercial. And I just met all these hairdressers at the salon. They said, you should come and work here front desk. We just opened. We need somebody. And I was like, okay, hey, that's perfect. $6 an hour. So uh, my wealth journey started at working one day a week, basically from four to seven at $6 an hour. That's like $18 a day, $18 a week. And uh, I was excited. I was just excited to be connected with people and be on a path. And so when I saw the hairdresser lifestyle, I was like, you know what? Maybe I could do this. Everyone said, you'd be a natural. You'd be good at this. And so I looked at the closest school. It was in a trailer in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, I committed. But hey, I'm doing it. I'm going to learn hair and I'm going to commit myself to this for five years. And the only way I will do anything else with my waking hours is if after five years, I am either making $100,000 or I am incredibly dis, you know, dissatisfied with this. So if I'm not doing, if, if, if after five years, I'm super unhappy and I'm not making the money I want, then I can consider something else. But until then, I'm committed. So it was just wake and sleep, wake and sleep, study hair. I would work all day at the salon when I started working me full time and they grew. Then I would go to school at nighttime. And then I would go home and watch DVDs from the Walmart clipper kit that I bought just so I could get more education. Because, you know, back then there's no YouTube or anything like that to, to learn from. And, uh, and that was sort of the beginning of my hair career. Eventually, I worked my way up to work with some of the biggest celebrities in the world. Justin Bieber, Kylie Jenner, Haley Bieber. And I had a growing beauty career. But... Even in the beginning of that career, my financial story was a disaster. Just because I was making more money did not mean I was growing in wealth or I was getting any better with it or I wasn't losing it just as fast. <laughs> and so in the beginning of my career, the first year that I made $40,000, I went and bought a $10,000 watch. I bought an electric drum set and a bunch of other really embarrassing, dumb things. <laughs> so On a $40,000 $40,000. Every penny that I had kept, I bought a fancy watch. with, And so I immediately had buyer's remorse. Uh, I sent that watch back. I sold the, the things that I bought. And I said, that was terrifying. 
That was absolutely terrifying. I don't know why I made decisions like that because I'd looked at my bank account and went, oh my God, this is not good. This is a really bad path I'm headed down. And so at around that time, just after that time, I had met my soon-to-be wife. And when I met her, she had four kids and lived in another state. And I said, wow, if I'm going to marry and take on a family of five, I better get really serious. However, there was a problem there in our story where she lived in Texas and was a housekeeper making 60 bucks a day. I was barely making 40 grand a year in New York as a hairstylist just getting started. And uh, we couldn't be together. So what we decided to do was I knew she was what I wanted. I committed and said, you know, I want to marry you and we'll figure it out. We'll be long distance until we can be wealthy enough to be together. Couldn't afford to fly to see her, but like a couple times a year, couldn't afford to right, take cabs or do anything. I uh, moved myself to a shoestring budget and started approaching my clients. So at the time I started working with, you know, like executives, CEOs, CMOs, and started saying, Hey, I will cut your hair for free if you will teach me about money. And these are, these are executives of publicly traded companies, you know, you know, billion dollar companies. And so these people became mentors to me. And I, I, they taught me about financial statements. And they taught me about money and they taught me about investing. And, and these relationships are still people I have in my life today. And the, ultimately, the lessons I learned through working with clients and having those conversations with my clients turned my life around. And that's kind of what's taken me to where I am today. Wow. Well, first of all, how did you meet your wife? So she was a housekeeper. You were a hairdresser, you know, just kind of making it by in New York across the country. She had a family, it sounds like. How did you meet and how did you two get connected? Well, she had been divorced and her brother lived in New York and became my best friend. And mm. so he was Skyping her one day back when people used Skype. And, uh, and I saw the girl on the screen when I came over to his apartment, I was like, who is that? And he said, that's my sister. Forget about it. And I didn't forget about it. <laughs> and, I, and here you I are knew. today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> here I am today, married 10 years and, uh, could not have made a better decision. My wife is, is, is the primary factor in, in any success I've achieved. She's an oh, incredible partner. I love that. So, okay. I also want to just step back. You know what? It's very interesting because the last three people I've interviewed were once homeless that have now achieved, you know, you know, they've changed their life around. And so I'm always curious to what someone's financial rock bottom moment is, right? Like the point where it is so bad, where you're like, I am not doing this again, I'm making a change. And I always wonder, do people have to have that rock bottom? Or is everybody's rock bottom different? Can you think about I mean, you, you alluded to the fact a little bit about, you know, when you bought the watch and, you know, you, you kind of overspent, overextended yourself. Was there, a, was that the moment where you're like, I'm done, I need to change this? Was it when you met your wife where you're like, I now have a family that I'm going to have to help care for? Yeah, it was a multi, um, not to get too philosophical, but we love to attribute causation to one thing. And mm -hmm. a lot of times it's an amalgamation of experiences that have actually led to a particular conclusion. So in my, in my case, it was, a, it was a season of life where I was starting to work with wealthy people and I saw that there was something way more possible than what I was experiencing in life. There were, I didn't know you could make hundreds of millions of dollars or be a, I wouldn't even think about billionaires, right? It wasn't even a number in my mind at the time. And this is pre-social media. So it's like, I really wasn't exposed to any of this type of stuff. Never even really thought about it. Uh, let alone thought about that it was possible for me. So as I started to work with my clients and I saw their lifestyle and I saw jets and I saw these, you know, when I heard that one of my clients' apartment was $30 million in New York, I was like, what? And so my, my wheels just started spinning like, well, 
you know, is that possible for me? And, um, and then I started spending very differently than these people were spending. They were buying assets and they were making investments and their conversations were very different. So it started shining a light on the way I was living my life and the way they were living their life. And they were living life very differently, having different conversations. They had a different circle of friends. And so I, I really wanted to emulate these people because I began to really look up to them. And then I saw my celebrity clients, like, right, who were like blowing cash and, you know, <laughs> doing crazy things. Um, and so I got to see this sort of juxtaposition of lifestyle, being in New York and working with these high profile people. And then meeting my wife was that third factor that came in. And I was like, you know what? I've been contemplating getting serious about financial success. Now I have to do it. I have to do it. There's no way I'm ever being married or having four kids watch me go through life being mediocre. Not going to happen. And so that was a huge why moment for me. And what ultimately drove me to work my ass off for, you know, for a long time. I still do. I, I still wake up early and go to bed late and do, do whatever it takes. I'm a whatever it takes. I just, I think being homeless was one of those catalysts that made me think I never want to go back there again because I have been there. And so it put a, instilled a fear in me, but it also allowed me to know, like, if I had to, I could do it. You know, mm. I, I, could, I could get out of it, you know? And so there is a little bit of fear of loss motivation there, but there was also the other side of a life with my wife and having a family that I really wanted to have. And there was just no way that it was going to happen if I didn't get super serious about it. So the amalgamation of those events in that season just triggered that. And I started getting really serious. I started asking my clients, instead of just watching, I went from watching to saying, I'll do your hair for free. I will, I'll, I'll do whatever for free, right? Uh, no, whatever. Get your mind out of the gutter, right? I will do whatever it takes by providing my services. Um, I can come to your office. I will do house calls. You know, I'll late at night. You need something. I would, I would go to Riverside and do this finance guy's hair for free at like 11 o'clock when he was, he was an investment banker, just so that I could go have these types of conversations, learn about investment banking. And those, those conversations and those lessons and those friends, they're all still my friends today, mentors, many of them. And I still pick up the phone and call them when I need to solve a problem. So it just was a very powerful experience and it changed my life. The circle I hung out with changed my life. That's what I was going to say. The biggest thing, it sounds like you really just elevated your circle. And so did you feel like you had to, I don't want to say, you know, make some hard changes, but maybe let go of some relationships that you really evaluated and thought, Hey, I'm trying to go here. This person, you know, not, and that's always challenging, right? Like as you grow, you don't want to just abandon your old friends and you know, it's, but there's certain people that maybe do bring you down and you realize, hey, this is going to impact my ability to get there. Was there any of those decisions that you had to make? Of course. Yeah. Um, I think there was at, at the beginning, very beginning of my career, I was, you know, roomed, uh, roomed up with someone who was, you know, doing cocaine constantly in the late nights. And there's certainly relationships that you will have to let go. I think what I've learned over the years and hindsight's 2020, so maybe I'm a little clearer on this now, or maybe I remember it with, with rose colored glasses, but I think I've had a good, good skill of keeping relationships in buckets mm. and saying, Hey, these are people that I'm investing in. These are, these are my peers who I really enjoy their company and they enjoy mine. And these are people that are mentors to me because I knew I never wanted to be the person who just went through life. And like, if you're not good for me or giving me something, you're out. Yeah. That's not how I approach life. I don't know a single successful person that's like, cut out everyone that doesn't sing your praises and love you. And you're amazing. And, you know, tell you everything you want to hear. I didn't want to be that person. 
there's, there's there. I want people in my life who will give me real feedback. I want peers. I want to be investing into people who maybe aren't where I am or don't think like, you know, or who maybe want, want to be where I am. So there's different types of relationships and there's different seasons for relationships. And I think the relationships I had, even those bad ones, they played a huge role in me moving forward. And so I'm thankful for them this day, but there's certainly people I won't spend a lot of time with. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, I'm not that I'm not a cold shouldered guy. If one of them called me, I'd, I'd happy to have a chat with them. Yeah, of course. All right. So hairdresser, you moved up, you're starting to surround yourself with your successful clients, learning, asking, asking questions, doing whatever it takes to absorb that information. Then you start to get some, well, kind of probably alongside that you get more high profile clients, including celebrities, some of the, the A-listers, so to speak, that you mentioned. And then what's next? Well, that's exactly what I asked. Okay, so now I'm working with famous people and I'm traveling all over the world. I'm flying over a hundred times a year and I don't like my life anymore. Um, I'm making more money, but I'm not keeping much of it. And so um, as I worked my way up, I thought, you know what? Earning money will only take me so far. And all of my clients, as I started to have these conversations, they're investing. At the very beginning of my career, I didn't have enough access to invest. There was nothing to invest in but me and my education and my skill to increase my income. And so once I had sort of maximized my income in my career, I moved on to the next step, which was investing in growth assets, what I call growth assets and what we call growth assets, the millionaire hairstylist. And that's, that is things that put your money to work with you. So well, I kind of learned this lesson of, of money from, from one of my mentors that, you know, you, you work for money in the beginning when you're young, and then you learn to work with money as you grow up. And as you become more sophisticated with money, money eventually works for you. So you look at money kind of like an employee, right? You know, and you say, you don't want to bring an employee into your business and just say like, go do things for me. It's not going to produce great results, right? And so a lot of people approach investing like that. And um, I took a, a different approach and some of the approach that my, my mentors uh, brought to my attention. And then so real estate was one of those assets that really interested me. And so I started investing in real estate. And I knew that there was very little chance of me doing that in New York. And so I didn't let that stop me. I decided, you know what? I'm going to do this out of state. I'm going to do it remote. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy properties in other states. And, uh, and today we have a nationwide real estate investing company. And, uh, and that's, that's grown over the years. And we've been doing that for nine years or so. And it's been amazing, very rewarding. And over the, over the course of that, uh, from my career and uh, investing, obviously I want to take on more investments. And I, I realized I kind of had a knack for building businesses. So I built uh, two companies in the real estate industry. And then I started building a consumer goods product. So I own a manufacturing company out in Los Angeles that we started uh, back in 2016. And uh, that's a global manufacturing business today. And so all these lessons from business and hiring and firing and all the pains you go through, they teach you a lot of lessons. And, and so I think uh, I probably wouldn't have done any of this if it weren't for my career in hairdressing. No, I don't, I don't think I w if I hadn't have been able to, um, connect with the right people and, 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 and learn these lessons that I'd actually gone for some of these things, but I am so thankful I did. So you also mentioned, you know, you shared some of those companies. Uh, you mentioned to me when we were starting that your, one of those companies did 190 million in sales. Yeah. So uh, since we started, we've done over 190 million in sales in, in about nine years. And so we have, and that's one of the companies we have a, we have a holding portfolio as well, where basically we, we purchase properties nationwide and out of those properties that we purchase, 
we can sell them, keep them, trade them, uh, tra sell them to hedge funds or, or whatever it is uh, that we do with disposition on that particular property. So over the years, we've, uh, we've accumulated a, a good sized uh, portfolio as well. Let me ask you another question. One of the things, and I'm sure you've seen this with beauty and wellness professionals, a lot of times what I have heard is there's a fear of numbers or maybe um, a non-traditional learner, right? Maybe the traditional academic environment didn't set them up for success. And so we see a lot of people that run away from numbers and math. And even maybe when they're trying to become a successful, you know, beauty and wellness professional or salon owner, or spa owner, the numbers scare them almost. I'm curious about your relationship to numbers in the early days and your relationship to school. And now, you know, running a real estate company and multiple company, companies, I mean, a lot of numbers, a lot of, uh, of detail, P&L management, a lot, a lot of stuff that you've got going on there. So tell yeah. me about numbers and your skill set or maybe how you became stronger with numbers. Yeah. So the first place that I started was books. I started reading a lot and I knew I didn't want to ask, you know, my mentors about numbers and look like an idiot. So I always mm -hmm. like to come to the table prepared with some basic knowledge. So the first year that I, before I made any investment, when I made the decision, like I'm going to marry my wife and I'm going to make this happen. I'm, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to be wealthy or there's no other option. I read a book a week that year. Uh, all on investing in finance. So I, I, I read books on reading financial statements. I read, uh, my, my roommate had the economics textbooks from New York University that he was studying. I read his entire textbook. I read textbooks on accounting. I just basically read everything I possibly could to educate myself on the vocabulary of money and finance. 100%, yeah. As I learned the words, my conversations started to pivot and I started to attract different people and I, I could hold a conversation much like learning another language. And so as I learned this language, it exposed that I had a pretty unhealthy relationship with money. And as you would with being in a relationship with someone, you have no clue who they are. So if you enter into a relationship with someone and they're a complete stranger and you attempt to have a intimate and great and quality relationship with that person, where would you start? you would start by learning about them. And so that is where I started with money. I started learning the language of money, how to treat it. How should I treat this uh, if I wanna have a good relationship with this person, if I wanna be, if I want it to stay with me, right? If I don't want this, uh, this thing to leave me, then uh, I should probably learn how to treat it. And so as I, as I learned and I studied, I then be able, uh, I was able to change the conversation that I was having with people and that drastically changed things because I saw that there was different levels of financial sophistication out there. I mean, you can get really, 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 you know, nerdy and complex with numbers, running financial algorithms and all kinds of stuff. And there's people who run multi-million dollar businesses and know the big 10 KPIs in their business. They know what to look at, what to manage, and they have people who can drill down and solve problems from there. So I, I you know, I, I realized there's different levels of financial sophistication. And I started studying to the extreme and then started I had, I could tell you right now, I was managing like dozens and dozens of numbers that like really did not need to be managed every single day and like mm -hmm. overdid it with the like accounting and everything. And then eventually sort of scaled back and saw the bigger picture of finance as a, as a business operator and owner. And um, it became a lot more simple than I thought it was and a lot less intimidating. And so uh, when you know what to measure in your business, it becomes far less intimidating because you know what you need to know and the other million things out there 
you can learn over time, right? If you, you can go as deep as you want to with this stuff. Um, but really you can run a successful business with a, with, with a, um, very unintimidating amount of number knowledge. You can't. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. I want to go back to your journey as a list hairdresser and I'm going to ask a personal question and you know, you can tell me high level or you can, you know, pass if you're not comfortable, but I'm curious, how much money were you making a year when you were doing, you know, all of those clients, a hundred flights a year, you know, going around the world. Can you give me a rough number? Yeah, I was making a couple hundred grand a year. That's it. That's it, really? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's, I don't think most uh, people know that. No, and I think what is, what's shocking about that is that people think doing the cover of Vogue magazine, it, it's going to pay a ton of money. I got 250 bucks for it. I don't, there's not many. Wow. Uh, it, it, does, it doesn't pay because there's a difference between money jobs and that you you can make more than that, and that's that's great um, with sponsorship income and you know all, all these other things that you can do nowadays. But the the money I made from actually doing clients never never exceeded a million dollars in a year. And so I what I what I realized was there's two types of jobs that I was looking at. I was looking at money jobs, like jobs that pay, and those were typically not very fun. And they were commercial jobs. They weren't super creative. You're working for huge brands, you know, the Maybelline, the L'Oreal, like doing uh, beauty, beauty ad work. Those pay uh, quite a bit of money, um, but they're a lot of work. And then there's authority establishing jobs where you take them not because the money you're going to make, but because the demand that you can establish in your career by having that as an accolade. For example, Vogue covers and all the names and brands that you work with. and uh, working with certain celebrities. And so at the beginning uh, of working with celebrities, I had no idea what to charge. So I was like charging my salon rate, which, which was like at the time, like $100 an hour when I started working with, with major celebrities. And, and then I got an agent and my agent was like, oh my gosh, we need to change this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so then, then I, I, um, I went to day rates and then hourly rates. So I never charged for a service. It was always for my time. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one thing that I think is, is becoming more and more accepted in, in the hairdresser industry is not, not charging per service because it does complicate your, your offering, but charging for your time. It's like, you know, some of the more financially sophisticated industries like accounting, finance, attorneys, they're, they're all charging you per hour. And so if you're going to exchange your expertise on something, you want to make sure it's covered to the minute because time is what you're losing every minute. So I switched to day rate and hourly rates and never looked back. And my, pretty much my whole career was on that. The great thing about, I will say the great thing about that is uh, that type of career was that I was able to control my schedule, except, you know, the jobs that I uh, wanted to at a certain point and eventually worked my way all the way down to like three clients. And, and that was everything I was doing. It was just, you know, three major celebrity clients and that was it. And at the end of that season, and I had known for about five years before, my goal is to retire. I want to retire. I want to retire from my career in 10 years so I can actually like have a life with my family. I missed birthdays, Christmases, like years and years and years mm. um, of life. And uh, I realized, okay, I feel like this season is coming. Um, I've invested well. I've built successful businesses out, outside of this industry. What do I want to do next? And that was really the, why I started the Millionaire Hairstylist. I, I had so many people, uh, peers, makeup artists, mm-hmm. hairstylists coming to me and uh, on set 
And instead of people asking me questions about hair, they were asking me like, uh, what am I doing with investing? Like, how am I buying properties? I'd be on a phone closing a deal from set while blow drying hair. Mm. And, uh, and it was, it was very intriguing. And so people started opening up about their stories financially and said, Hey, I'm like, I'm 45 years old, been doing this for a long time. I got 30 grand to my name. Like, what should uh, I do? And I was like, yeah. Whoa, I had no idea there were so many people who also didn't know what to do. And, um, and that's kind of what, you know, I was talking with Tom and, you know, that's sort of what, uh, what started this whole thing. It's like, Hey, we got I got to turn this around. I got, I, I, I'm, I'm positioned to do it mm -hmm. and I want to do it. I want to make a difference. And so that's, that was yeah. my exit of my career was to say, you know what, I'm no longer going to do hair. I'm going to go make a difference in creatives lives. And that's been incredibly impactful and meaningful. So before we get to millionaire hairstylist, so you were, you know, still taking on a list clientele. That's when you had simultaneously built the real estate company. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. So that's what you're doing, closing deals. And then you started to yeah. start making passive income. And then you're like, Hey, I don't necessarily need to be on set all day, every day being away from my family. So then you left and then still doing the real estate. And then you started millionaire hairstyles. Is that correct? Trajectory yeah. wise. Okay. Yep. And I, I started other businesses. I, I attempted to build an electric motorcycle business, you know? Um, so when I say that these businesses are successful, I've done other things that have not crushed, right. uh, you know? Yeah. And, um, however, you know, three of them have done, done incredible. And so, um, yeah, during that time that I was working with celebrities and flying over a hundred times a year, I was also building two other businesses mm. at the time. And yeah. uh, it was day and night. And one of those businesses was in Texas and one of them was in California and I was living in New York. And it was uh, a learning experience, to say the least. So let me ask you this, because now you've kind of come on the other side of it, right? It's always a process. But what was the, that time away from your family and doing whatever it possibly took to kind of get you and your family, because you're supporting your family's future, yeah. was it worth all those nights and days that you worked when you look back? Oh, my gosh. Like every, I feel like every day my wife and I are like, wow. It was seven years of like long distance. So worth it. I am so glad we did that. And it was painful. Yeah. It was painful at times um, to do that. And I'm not, I don't think everyone maybe needs to go as hard as we did, but we knew we just, we wanted to be together and we wanted the option to be financially free. And so we started building things that generated enough uh, income and passive income to take the leap and go do what we wanted to do and be together. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things I'm, I'm really like that you talk about that. And I really like why, why I like these conversations is you have to make tremendous sacrifices. You have to make tremendous sacrifices to get yourself into another situation. And I think, I just think that needs to be discussed more. I mean, the reality is you lived away from your family for many years and you worked your yeah. tail off night and day. So now seven years in, you know, you're in a different position, but you know, that could have taken somebody working 40 hours a week, 20 years. I don't know. I can't do the math in my head, but it could have taken them 20, 30, maybe more years to get yeah. to that place that you were able to do in, in seven years. It is. It's tough. I tracking my time at the time I was working 14 to 16 hours a day on average. That was the average amount of work I was putting in. Uh, I'd be on set and working other work, building the other businesses while on set. So my the model would go on, on, on set and I'd get on my laptop and, and, you know, and start working the other thing. And then I'd get on a plane to go to the next location. I remember one time I, uh, I was doing Priyanka Chopra's hair 
and for the Toronto Film Festival. I was in New York and I was supposed to fly up there and uh, I called my agent like hours before I'm supposed to be up there. He said, I don't have my passport. I left it my last trip to, to Dallas. And, uh, and, she's, and I was like, can you find a replacement? And she said, no. And so she, I had to go fly to Dallas. I had to buy a ticket on my own dime. I, you know, I messed up, fly to Dallas, and then get the, the immediate flight back to Toronto. After the Toronto job, it was two days straight where the hours were insane. Um, super, super, up super early, up super late at events. Uh, and then I had to fly back to New York for another three-day job. I remember I was awake for 30-something hours on one of those jobs. And it, it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm doing this so often and traveling so much and not sleeping that I was like, I, I know I can't do this forever. I know I can't do this forever. And it's, but it's moments like that where I was like, I'm going to keep going until I get there. I'm going to keep going until I get there because either, either yeah. I'll die trying uh, you know, of, of exhaustion or I'll make it. And, uh, and it, was, it was all worth it. There were crazy, crazy jobs where I'd have to just fly and not sleep for a couple of days and um, just to get things done. And there's been scary deals and losing money and losing time and losing clients and failures. There's been all that. Yeah, and lots of it. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you, yeah. you, don't, you, don't get, uh, you don't get asked too many times, like, you know, what's your biggest failure in business? <laughs> what is it? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't get asked that very often. So my, uh, my biggest failure in business, um, I, I, I probably, in any of my businesses, biggest failure. Oof. I can't say biggest for sure, but out of what I can recall, I think when I first started getting, when I first started building business, I think I focused way too much on the money and not enough on um, building the appropriate relationships and seeking the appropriate amount of advice. Because I started that kind of later into the journey asking, um, and I was like, well, how do I make money? How do I make money? I just want to make money. And focusing on that actually felt like it made the money run away. It was like, it does something to you psychologically, or when you chase money, um, it's weird. It avoids you. It's, it's, uh, I don't know how to explain that. But as soon as I started chasing what I wanted was, I'm going to focus on, I want freedom. I want opportunity. I want options. I want a tool to be able to exercise my ideas and explore my, my business ideas. Uh, I want relationships that are meaningful. I want work that is meaningful. My mind sort of shifted toward chasing those things. And uh, a lot of money was generated from chasing those things. But as, uh, just chasing the dollar was very elusive and it was very difficult. I think it's probably the biggest mistake I made in money was being too mo- get money focused. Uh, and, and later on, I had to learn that money was just a result from chasing truly meaningful things. I could not agree with that more. I think that's very natural for young people in business too. When you're starting out, it's like, I've got to build, I've got to build, I got to get the next deal. I was totally the same way. It was like all I could, and we had to, right? It was, you're kind of in survival mode at that point, or at least I was at that point in in building business. So I totally relate to that. Okay. So you've accumulated some wealth. What you also mentioned that you're very cheap, which I can also relate to. So you're cheap, but you also you do invest and you know, you do, you do have some luxuries, I assume. So tell me, tell me how you handle money and the difference. What are you, what areas do you try to be frugal or cheap on? And then what areas are you like, Ooh, I invest in this. I think I have some, some ideas, but I'm just curious, very specifics. 
So I really wanted to answer to personal finance in the beginning of my career because I thought like, you know, I need to get, if if I'm going to earn, and this was not my own idea, and a mentor told me, he's like, well, you know, you're, you you want to make more money. What are you doing with the money you're making? I was like, well, I, nothing. He's like, well, then wouldn't it, wouldn't it be dumb to put more money into a system that just leaks money? Uh, he's like, so no matter how much you're going to make, you're going to be the same person as you as you go and make more money. You can make a million dollars and you're just going to lose a million dollars. If you're making a hundred grand now and you're losing a hundred grand a year, it'll be the same when you're making it. Don't think it's going to be any different unless you change. And so I, you know, I thought, okay, I want to get the, the personal finance side down and control what I'm making. If I can generate margin and, and return with what I'm making now, then it will indicate to me that that, that that system is ready for more money to be put into it and to be multiplied at greater volumes. And so uh, I focused on that first. I focused on my personal finances, getting, getting a landscape. And I, did, I tried everything. Like there were so many tools out. This is 2000, 2010 at the time. And th there weren't any like fancy apps and stuff like that. So I did the envelope system and I did all the Dave Ramsey stuff. And I was just like, this sucks. It doesn't. I hate the not, envelope system. <laughs> it, 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 it sucks. It's not working. And yeah. so I was like, it, it's not actually doing anything for me. And, the, and so it's not making me wealthier. It's just keeping me poor. And so I could set aside, X, you, know, eight, you know, whatever, a couple hundred dollars a month or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but when I do the math, it's like, what am I going to have in 30 years or 10? That's not good enough. So I came across the practice of allocation through a CFO friend of mine. Um, he was running a $200 million media company in New York at the time. He had his office on Park Avenue and I was cutting his hair. And, uh, and he taught me about uh, how they allocate money in the business to certain initiatives. And so based on the performance, more may, may get allocated. He talked about allocation and marketing. So, you know, they allocate 20% to testing and 80% to what's, what's currently working. And, and so I'd learned the concept of financial allocation and so started implementing that into my life. And so, and now there's a book out there, a guy named Mike Michalowicz, who wrote a book called Profit First, which talks a lot about financial allocation using bank accounts. And so I started using uh, bank accounts a long time ago before this book came out and putting money into different buckets. And that actually started working because what I had learned from one of my mentors is, you know, like you want to pay yourself first, the whole pay yourself first strategy. Uh, and so I started setting aside money for my future. And that money was, was set into a completely different bank account at a completely different bank at the time. And, uh, and then I allocated toward different categories in my life. And so today, the way that we manage our finances is that we, the, all, all the money that we make and receive um, goes into an income account. And we, we, so all the money that we make from different sources, 90% of it is invested today. 10% um, of it goes to the other things. And so what I'll, what I'll do is I'll go into our income account and we try to put as little into that as possible. Uh, because once it goes into your income account, you are now paying taxes on that. And so um, we have, uh, we have what we need going into that, that income account. And that income account gets dispersed into other accounts via automatic transfers. And so it is on autopilot and we don't adjust it no matter what happens to our income. If we happen to make $100 million next year in, in, in earnings, uh, then that is, we're not going to like increase the amount that we live off of. So our, our lifestyle is fixed. And it has been for a long time. And so we have not been allowed to exceed that, uh, that lifestyle cost. So 
learning the practice of automated allocation was huge because it took all the emotion out of money. And it's just like, Hey, these are the allocation percentages. This much is going to investing. This much is going to our fund. This much is going to family. This much is going to bills, uh, all that kind of stuff. And having those systems in place was incredibly powerful. And it allowed me to go focus on life and not counting beans. And is it percentage-based? Your allocation strategy. Yeah, it's all. I I love that idea. I think that's one of the fatal flaws that happens with you know it's the whole lifestyle creep saying right. You know it's you make more money and you immediately start spending it. So I think that's brilliant and very practical advice. Um, So you have not changed your standard of living. No, not in probably more than six years or so. Probably Uh, it, it hit a certain point where we said okay. Um, this is good, but we can see how this could also start to creep up. Yeah. Um, because as we made more money, we, we, in the beginning, we were allocating more to ourselves as like more reward. That makes sense. But then when we started really getting reward from was seeing our wealth grow and yeah. build and not, you know, our, once you hit a certain point of wealth too, it's like, what, what more do you need to experience? Do you, do you like, you can buy so much stuff in life and you can do so many things. It's not going to make you any happier moment. You'll have momentary highs, of course, maybe a little more frequently, but um, we hit a point where we're like, Hey, this is a good life. This is a good mm-hmm. life. Now. Uh, I think we're, we're happy with this. And so from then on every, every year as our income has grown from the businesses, um, we reallocate that and reinvest it, all of it. I love it. All right. I know we're almost on time. So talk to me about what you've created, the millionaire hairstylist, which is, is it the millionaire stylist or hairstylist? The millionaire hairstylist. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a company that was built out of, out of uh, passion and what I learned. So throughout my career, I earned, uh, earned significant income as a hairstylist, I've, you know, climbed up the ranks in my career, uh, but also realized that as I started talking with people about investing and uh, and, and people just started getting wind that I was doing certain things and making businesses and uh, having conversations with people. I would get emails and texts and outreaches from friends of friends and said, Hey, like you're investing, like, what are you, what are you investing in? Like, what are you doing? Very lots, lots of curiosity. So I started meeting with people and kind of hearing their situations. And as I heard a lot of people's situations who I thought were incredibly financially successful, I thought these people were way, way richer than me. Um, they had such fancy lifestyles and turns out that was not the truth at all. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's probably a lot of misconception when we see people nowadays, you know, it's like wealth can be worn so well. Um, and when you're wearing it, you don't have it. (laughs) So, uh, there, there was certainly a huge misconception that I thought everyone else was like doing really well. turns out they weren't. Um, and I thought there's a desperate need for business and financial education in this industry. And there is a toxic mindset and an incestuous uh, sort of messaging within the industry that keeps us um, doing the same things and making the same mistakes. Because it's, it's financially uneducated people giving you know, advice to uneducated people. And it, and, it, and it gets out of hand, it's gotten out of hand really quick. Just even basic economics is not taught in our, in our business. Understanding how a dollar works, how an economic system, understanding the camps of economic theory, why is the world the way it is? You know, why do we even work with money? Um, understanding those things is just not something we study. And because of some really common myths that I, I too believed, we don't even try. 
uh, a lot of creatives don't even try and we go, ah, we're just not interested. I'm not interested. Uh, it's overwhelming. It's intimidating. It's scary. You know, money is uh, kind of emotional and scary. And so when I learned to overcome some of those myths that money can be extremely creative, uh, money, uh, everything that you see out there that has been created, like look, look, at, look around you. I'll bet you can't find one thing that has not been made. If you're, if you're sitting indoors, it's like not, nothing has been made. That had to be designed. It had to be created. Someone had to think of it, you know, and what was behind that? Money. And so there's a, there's a force in the world that's incredibly powerful. And I, and I also felt like it was one of the greatest forces for creating change. Even nonprofits can't do the work they do without an income stream, without cash flow. And so it's the lifeblood of change in, in the world, value and exchange of values, the lifeblood of change. And so I knew that it was a very, very powerful lesson I needed to learn. As soon as I started learning it and it started impacting my life, I knew I wanted to teach it. And uh, I never thought of myself as a teacher. Never thought of myself as an influencer or leader or anything like that, but I became extremely passionate about this topic and making a change in the industry, as I know you guys do extremely well and have done so for many years. Yeah, we're we're so aligned. I mean, we're I love it because we're we're seeking to do the same thing, and I love that we've been connected. And I love what you're doing because you have done it. So I love it. I love what you're doing. I think it's brilliant, and I think. That's why we do this. That's why we talk about money. It's the first way we can possibly create change for other people. And so thank you for doing what you're doing. I know you don't have to, right? You could be doing a lot of other things. Tom could be doing a lot. We could all be doing different things. And I yes. think it's a reminder of, you know, what's possible in this industry and really elevating. I, I interviewed someone on here. She was the author of a book called Tipped. I don't know if you've heard her, Barbara Sloan. Um, she was a pole dancer and then became a construction company owner in New York, actually. And she refers to, you know, that the service driven ind industry as um, financially illegitimate, right? People don't think it's a legitimate industry. And so how yeah. can we change that? And really, the only way to do so is through education and through people who have been there. So anyone can enroll in the millionaire hairstylist, right? Yes, anyone can enroll in love the millionaire it. hairstylist. Yep. And I want to I want to share one more thing that I love about this. One thing I hope people take away from this exchange and our relationship here mm -hmm. and our relationship is new. And yeah. uh, when Claybaugh introduced us, uh, mm -hmm. introduced me to Tom and Tom introduced me to you and so many people. And I talked to hairstylists, a new salon pops up in town and they're like, Oh my God, it's competition. There's, they're doing the same thing I'm doing or they're doing similar things. You and I have this very similar mission. Our mission statement is to improve the financial well-being of hairstylists. I would imagine that very closely aligns with what, mm -hmm. you know, with, with the words Cunity is using yeah. and what you guys are doing. And um, I want to encourage every single person out there that if you are seeing some, if you see someone else doing what you're doing, align immediately. Go connect with those people. Go make a great relationship. Like I, I am, I am up against other investors in real estate, and they're my friends. Like there, there are, there is no, um, there is so much opportunity in the world, and there are so many people who need the message. And it's dang near impossible for one company or one person to reach every single person with a message that they're going to receive. So I hope that people see our relationship. We're doing mm -hmm. the same thing. We're two separate companies, and we're aligning. We're aligning yeah. in the mission. And I hope you guys out there will think about your business and ask who else is out there that I can align with that's doing similar things to me. I promise you, you'll go much further and you'll do much bigger things together than you ever will by yourself. I could not agree more. And I'm very grateful that we had that same approach. And I think, you know, there's sometimes where you can feel it's like 
there's an energy somehow with it, right? There's an energy where it's like, oh, this feels, you know, if for us in fairness, it does feel aligned, right? There's been other competitors where I'm like, hmm, this does not feel aligned. And I can't really explain why that is. So I don't know if you've experienced that too, but I, oh yeah. Yeah. So, but I think that the principle of that is true is abundance, seek towards what you want. You're doing some things better than we are. We might be doing some things better than you are. I don't know. That's right. And that's why Likely we're you are yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or differently or, 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 differently. or teaching it in a way that someone else gets better. You know, another, yep. another personality understands, or there's probably gaps in certain people's education, which is why I think take as many offerings as you can. If you are considering financial education, take everything you can. And by doing that, you're going to get a really broad understanding of, of the thought leaders in the market and what's going on with finance and business. And I take everything I can. And I tell people like I pay, I've paid $60,000 to meet one person, like one meeting. Wow. And what that's brought me is now that person is a friend of mine and we are, are we're discussing right now doing a multi-million dollar self-storage unit nation uh, business nationwide. So you, you never know. And that was just supposed to be one meeting. I needed some advice and, and developed a relationship and here we go. That now I know that person. It's been incredible. I'm about to pay another fifty-one thousand dollars for a coach to walk me through another portion of a, of a business that I'm I'm starting, another arm of a business. And so, I like to pay for the education. I don't like to go learn it the hard way anymore. I did that in the beginning, and it's incredibly expensive. So, yeah. um, take everything that's out there. Everyone has some something that you can get from it. And if you have a mindset of I'm going to learn something. Like I'm going to read this book and I'm going to get at least one thing. I'm going to get one thing. If you approach everything with that, you'll never regret your investment in your education. You'll always walk away with something. I love it. Brilliant. Cash, thank you so much. I know we're going to be talking a lot more. So yes. thank you. And I'll be on your podcast soon. That's and right. We'll be having you on our podcast. Yes. And I thank you for everything. You have a wonderful day. And thanks everyone for listening to Money O2. Talk to you later, Aaron. And cheers, everybody. As a friendly reminder, all of these podcasts are not to be taken as financial advice. Rather, they are simply sharing financial stories. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Cash. If you've got any questions or want to follow along with him deeper, you can check out more resources in the show notes. Thanks for listening.